Thank you very much. Uh, this isn't part of the rent, by the way. Him letting me come up here. And, that's, that's not part of it, but could be. We can work that out. No, we can't work that out. I don't want, I don't want to do this too often. It's nerve-wracking. Um, so let's just pray. How about we'll start right there. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity. I just pray like the first time you make this mess into a good message. And your message goes out from this mess that as we get afraid and we get everything else that you just take control and be here. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, so, well, hi. Hello. This is my fourth time preaching in this church. Uh, previous to that, I've been used to mostly the prison setting. <laughs> I preach a lot in the prison. I, I was before the COVID and uh, it's a lot more scary here. <laughs> The biggest difference, though, is when I'm preaching here, I can't see the toilets in the back. <laughs> so that's, that's a little awkward when you go there. We'll just leave it right there. I accept this invitation from the, to preach from Pastor Stan whenever he offers it to me because I feel like it's an offer from Jesus. Now, I know the pastor isn't Jesus. He's way too short, right? But he's a great mentor, and, and even for old dogs like me, I love him. Pastor Stan always says that if you preach on a certain subject that you're going to get challenged on it all week long. So I've decided to preach on dealing with great wealth. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm ready for the challenge, right? <laughs> okay, well, here's what I will preach on. The Bible says fear not or be not afraid over a hundred times. Okay? There was somebody who said that fear not or something like it was repeated in the Bible 365 times to remind us daily not to fear. That may be true, but it sounds a little too human, too gimmicky for me, for God. He doesn't, you know, 100 times probably sufficient. You don't get it by then, you probably won't get it. So, at least 100 times, it may be true. But there is, what is true is every time it's in the Bible, there's a condition placed on it. Okay? Every time there's a fear not, every time there's a be not afraid, there's a condition placed on that saying. And speaking of gimmicky, put up my message name. Um, FF2F2FF. That's pretty gimmicky, right? FF2F2FF. Can you do FF2F2FF? From fear to faith to full forgiveness. Okay, and I'm going to tell you how I kind of got there. Some people have families. Like, we can use pastor stands. That's always the, you know, the go-to for that beautiful family. But they learned about God. They learned, they got saved at the home through probably, this would probably be a bunch of L's, love, and you know, this and that. But I'm telling you how I got to Jesus, and it's from fear to faith to full forgiveness. The Bible has a lot to say about fear. 2 Timothy uh, 2, no, 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. And that may be true, you know, now I feel, I feel it, but that, that sounds good, but it wasn't me when I was young. It didn't feel nothing like me. I can remember many fears when I was growing up. I may not have had a spirit of fear, but I was afraid all the time. <laughs> I was afraid of not fitting in, afraid other kids thought of me. I was afraid of what I had clean to wear since I did my own laundry one time. And, and you know, you, you just, there's certain things when you're a kid you don't, you, you worry about. Um, I was afraid of the intentions of others and what they might do. Um, I was afraid, I got lost there. Okay, I was afraid of my future. And I was afraid of my thoughts and actions because they kept getting me in trouble. And you see, I got a couple of grandkids here. I don't know if they know this, so we're going to have to deal with it. But a couple of months before, I was sent to prison. Because that's what we're going to fast forward through my life. 18 months in prison 20 years ago for a, and a snapshot in my life. And it was for stealing a whole bunch of copper cable. And I stole it while I was trying to be good for God. 
Right? And that's the funny part. I had never got caught prior to this. See, a couple months before I got sent to that prison, that one time I became a Christian. At least that's when I think I became a Christian because I had applied in juvenile hall and everywhere else. So it might've been before, might, I, I don't know. But I remember when I was like 14 in a fire camp, I wanted, I needed something. And the, the guy said, okay, get up front here and say hallelujah as fast as you can for as long as you can. Hallelujah, you're speaking in tongues and you're saved. Not, right? So everybody's gonna bring God to you in certain ways. When you meet Jesus, there won't be any mistake. You'll know it. And I didn't know it right there. It didn't feel right. It wasn't right, right? So I knew it wasn't. But anyway, on this time, here's what happened when I was trying to be good. I was in what I want to call my victimless crime era, which means I, was, I didn't want to hurt anybody anymore. I was still coming to God, but you got to steal. You got to steal, you know? So in my mind, I wasn't hurting anyone. And remember, this is what I'm talking about. I'm 20. I was just, just you know, I didn't understand. But God started to deal with my broken heart. I started going to church. My heart was yearning. And not really at first for God or for righteousness, just for goodness. To be a man that can live and prosper and not live in a cage. Right? Not get busted every once in a while. Not, not in that cycle. I was going in that cycle and I didn't want it. And while I was going straight, I was attending church. I stopped my criminal activity and I was turning to God. Well, I was in mid-turn when the rent came due and I only had been working for about a week. Out of nowhere, a thought came into my head that I knew how to get the rent, and it was from God. Thank you, Lord. The last scrapping job I did resulted in a full truck of copper cable, and it made me a lot of money, but about 100 pounds wouldn't fit in the truck, so I left it at the site. I left that cable all cut up, easily picked up, and now an answer to my prayers. <laughs> I already did the work. I already did the damage, and doesn't God love to make positives out of negatives? <laughs> you can pretty much talk yourself into anything. So I was getting ready to take that copper cable again, which I would have tithed off, by the way, because I was a Christian then. So when I heard someone say, well, there's your problem, and I turned around, and there were these two men there. And for the first time in my life, I knew what real fear was. It was the beginning for me, and I understood something. I was a young punk at that time, and I probably could have took these two guys down and probably got away. But the truth is, I couldn't get away. That was the truth. I was already caught, and there was no explanation. There was no rationalization and definitely no mercy. I had just made a deal with God. I, I had claimed him and failed him. I know the Bible says fear not, but that's not true for beginners. For me, it wasn't. For me, fear was the entry level emotion of becoming a Christian. I failed God and for that, he will fail me. Not fail me like, you know, not show up, be late, you know, but I mean, fail me, reject me. And I felt it. And I think that's why I love that song. It keeps saying, we won't fail me now. Right? That, that yes I will song. I love that. But at this time I was failing him. And all I can think of at the time, I didn't know the scriptures, but it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Because now it's not about what you're doing here. It's between me and God. And I never felt that way before. And it was, oh, it was, it was crazy. Um, when I saw these guys, the fears of the, the despair I felt was literally literal. I could barely breathe, and I started crying as I walked to the car. And these two guys were following this crying criminal, <laughs> telling me that you know, have your license plates, don't leave. But I left because I knew I was already busted. <sighs> At this point, even when I thought about it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. 
Also, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, the cops, or anything like that. But they can't kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And these are terms that, you know, loving God, it doesn't sound like it. But when he's coming to you and he sees you dying, these are saving words, right? For some people that didn't get the love, didn't get it the first time, right? And those thoughts were, were just multiplied now, thanks to Stevie, because we talked about Achan last week, right? And what happened to him when he disobeyed God and to his whole family. I think his pets, right? He had a chipmunk, done. No, I didn't, you know. But everything, and the same way here, the Bible keeps on saying, you know, be saved and you and your family. Doesn't mean they get saved by you, but by your actions that you'll help lead them to God. Oh, I did it again. Okay, let me get back on this one little thing. I did this like three or four times. I lost my spot, but I'm gonna leave it right here this time. Now I know what I'm doing. Okay, so you go there. With all those thoughts in my mind, I went and turned myself in, right? Pastor was talking to me, but I wanna be very clear about turning myself in, right? They already had my license plate. So how turning myself in could it be, right? But usually in this world, somebody does something, when they get caught, they apologize, right? Very few people on TV, uh, sports figures or anybody in the middle of doing something, just stop doing, say, you know what I've been doing? And nobody knew about it. They accept it and they, no, no, you catch them. They tell you how sorry they are. And that does sometimes make us sorry. That's the tool of that fear of getting caught. So I turned myself in, and as a great reward, God granted me 18-month reprieve from my life (laughs) to learn of him, to learn he's not pushy, and he's not here to fail me. He's here to save me, and that he can give me rest. Do you people know how exhausting it is to do do wrong all the time, (laughs) to be in trouble all the time? Show of hands. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple there. And again, somebody will always show it because at some point in my life or your life, you probably just, every time you turned around, you were doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, trying to be good. It wasn't working out. So this 18 months, truly, I'm giving you scriptures that I learned in that 18 months. because I, I basically read it hours a day and I wish I had the time or the, the drive to, to read as much now. But I do read, but I remember That's where I learned it all. That 18 months was a lifesaver for me. So in those months, I learned that if you fear the right things, fear is good. It could be positive. John 1.3 tells us that through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made. And fear is one of those things that was made. But in God's plan, fear is a motivator. It's to recognize risk, to see something in front of you. It's to correct. It's to cause you to act. How many times in your life has fear paralyzed you before understanding comes? You don't even know what you're afraid of and you're afraid. Whether it's somebody yelling boo or heights or that guy when you're a kid, that bully, that if you would have slapped him one time, you'd have been done. You know, but you're afraid. Look at what he looks like. So we get afraid before we even know why we're afraid. Man, fear has been perverted by Satan. Fear has been transformed into a paralyzer of life, into a result. Okay? Fear was never meant to be a result. It was, meant to be, it was never meant to be something you remain in or something you live in. You've heard living in fear. You've probably heard that term, may even know someone living there. May even be you every once in a while when you look in the mirror. Well, I would say to you, them who are living in this place, that it was not made for dwelling. You don't live there. It was made to be transitory. Right? It's kind of stupid, but it sounds like it's an emotional bus station that can send you in a number of directions. I left that there because I thought it was cool, but it sounds stupid now. But it's an emotional bus station. 
It could take you and drive you right where you're supposed to be, or it could devastate you. It could keep you from doing everything you're supposed to be doing. You know, they call it cold feet sometimes. Sometimes fear makes you stop, and it's supposed to. That's the job of fear, to make you correct, to make you recognize. Okay? Fear warns you. It could take you in a number of directions. Whether a fear is real or imagined doesn't matter when you're afraid. Not at all. But when the dust settles, understanding your fear can save you from continuing to live in them. Or it can let you know that was a good fear and you change your direction. So it worked for you, right? Well, in this time in the big, in the big house, right? I was scared to death. Reading the Bible for those 18 months was confusing at first because it seemed, to contra- it seemed very contradictory because it seemed to save me with one scripture and condemn me with three others. Right, it tells about if you do this, you're going ahead, and then I love you over here. And it was just, it was with prayer and continuing to read it because I knew there was no other hope for me. A revelation hit me like a hammer. Like in school, when you finally understand a concept that's been evading you, like algebra or girls. No, I never got that one, but algebra. Now it makes total sense. And the revelation was that the Bible is in fact true, and it's a book of despair and judgment. If I'm reading it and I don't have Christ. Only certain scriptures are for me. All the scriptures pertaining to the law. That I'm breaking regularly. Are for me. Those hundred plus scriptures about not fearing. And being not afraid. They're conditional to the righteousness of Jesus. Being accounted to me. That is the condition. That I be his. And if I'm his. I have no reason to be afraid. We're still going to be afraid. But you have no reason. <laughs> That's the whole thing we got to understand. We're still going to be afraid. I'm not sure how many of you can relate to this path of pretty much fear and regret that led me to Jesus. But it is truly all about getting to Jesus. How you got there doesn't matter. Some people can get there through love and just talking. Other people need what I did. <clears throat> A number of times. I, they didn't kick me. They kicked me. And I got other, they put the boot to him when he was down. Because I, I never kept trying to get up and do what I was doing. No, get down. So anyway, there's my personal input. Now I want to go straight to the Bible. And I'm going to do what is for me a life-changing scripture mash. If you get a scripture mash, we're going to join them all together. It's going to be Proverbs 1-7, Proverbs 9-10, Proverbs 1-11-10, Psalms 1-12-1. And John Heisel said something to me that threw it right in. There was Psalms 103-11-13-17. And it put it all together, shake it up. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. And blessed is the man who fears him. His great mercy and pity is from everlasting to everlasting for those who fear him. And his righteousness to their children's children. And I got some family here. And I remember my daughter right here saying that she loves that song. Children's 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 children. And when you start thinking in that tone. You know you're growing up. You know your mind's not on you. And it's on your children and their children. And life in general. And what your real purpose is here. Right? Jesus' real purpose wasn't for him. It was for us. Can a parent believe that their real purpose is not for them, but for them? For the kids? Right? And getting them to Jesus. And then once you do that, party on. But you got to get them there. That's your main job. Okay? Now, here I am as a bona fide cross-carrying Christian. I have nothing to fear. Because I've turned my fear of Jesus, my fear of God into gratitude for what they've done for me. Into love. And love perfect love casts out all fears but as you look at me right now I'm still afraid (laughs) you can see me I got up here nervous I'm still nervous 
So my love isn't perfect, but his is, and that's good enough to get us all to heaven. We got to write his coattails. Don't look for your forgiveness and all that. It's his, it's him that we look to, to get into heaven, right? We just do our best. Now, some of you know me, some of you don't, but I would like us all to relive the joy that was felt in God's angels and in heaven over one sinner who repented. Can I have a hand? Thank you. Come on, come on. Give me a hand. All right, all right. Now, give Jesus a hand for saving me. That's really what that was for. I didn't do anything, okay? But we're all that to say Luke 15 is where it tells us about that joy felt in heaven when a single sinner repents. That is so awesome. But it ain't the whole story. For you old guys in here, Paul Harvey used to say, now you get the rest of the story. Yeah, that's what we're going to get right now. Unless that single sinner that repented, that we cheered, unless he was a thief on the cross or going down in a plane, he had to go on living in this world with his new Lord under new management with all of us faulty Christians, (laughs) just like all of us in the waiting, right? Now you, you still come back to where you were. And now we need to know that for when I read the Bible, there's a lot of passages that just look to salvation, it seems, in Luke 15. There are three parables, and conventional thinking, which I have a hard time with because I've never been to a convention, but conventional thinking tells us that these three parables, I got one more laugh than last time. So I kept it in there hoping for one of you. Show a hand who laughed. Thank you very much. Okay. Conventional thinking tells us that these three parables are about unsaved sinners repenting and coming to God and the joy that's felt and that follows. I suggest you that these three parables could easily be about Christians already saved and our life in the waiting and the joy that comes at our continued repentance and return. Not a return to Christianity. We're never going to leave that, but back to each other, back to relationship, back to love, and back to Jesus right next to him. And as we read a couple of scriptures I'm going to read, it could be for salvation or it could be for us who are Christians in here living in the waiting. So Luke 15, 4 through 7 reads like this, and you might read it a little different. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And I didn't change that sentence because I wanted you to picture Pastor Stan putting us on his shoulders and taking us home after he's counseled us. So, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And that's true for us when we're saved. And I believe to a lesser extent it's true for us all through our Christian walk. Because we got to understand, we got to be right next to Jesus or we're going to falter. Or there's a chance of faltering. Let's just put it that way. Pretty good uh, law of averages are are against you. So in that, I want to talk about the, the, the rest of Luke 15. And we can look at the parable of the coins the exact same way. And I shouldn't do this, but we can look at it that way. But it's not about the Benjamins. Or if we're thinking that time, this ain't about the Caesars. See that I didn't want to do it because I didn't give very much laugh to the other. Now, I'm riding this because I wrote them, darn it. I'm going with it. Let's get to the parable of the prodigals. There are three of them in the story, not just a son. They're all lavishly wasteful in their own way. So let's talk about how. Let's go to it. Luke 15, 11 through 24. There was a man who had two sons. And just so 
I'm the one reading it. I know it's the Bible. We're not going to change the words. But I, the, the man is God or Jesus. The two sons, we know God or Jesus has millions of sons. We're just talking about two, a younger one and an older one. So let's take it. We're talking about Jesus and a young Christian and an old Christian. So there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And a prodigal person is one that is recklessly wasteful. And this father, this Jesus, he was recklessly wasteful in his giving of his property and his love to his son. He knew he was gonna, what he was going to do with it. He didn't even bat an eye. Give it to me. So he gave it to him. He split his stuff. He knew what he was going to do with it. And he divided his property. Usually you've got to wait till your dad dies to get his property. Think about if one of my kids come up to me, hey, yo, dad, can I get half your junk now? You know, you're going pretty soon. You're 60. You know, it would be tough. It would be tough to deal with, son. Can you care? You know, so could you care a little? But the son had nothing to offer. He just wanted. So not long after he got all the stuff, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. And separation is always to a distant country because you never just go right next door and, you know, and, and take all your dad's stuff and mess it up. You go as far away so you can think you're on your own, you're going to do good, but you know why you're leaving. You know why you had to go to a distant country, right? So he began to be in need. So he hired himself out. Yeah, so he hired himself out to a citizen of that country. He sent him to feed the pigs. So to this point, truly, he hasn't learned anything. He kept doing what he was doing till he ran out of the money needed to do what he was doing. So he got a job working with pigs. And my question is, what was so bad about his dad's house? That he'd rather go live with the pigs, right? When we, when we stray away, what was so bad about being in here? What was so bad about doing what you know God wants you to do? And I'm, man, let me just, is there a mirror around here? I want to, I'm not, you know, I'm trying to judge. I'm trying to tell you right now, that's the question. Even when I'm doing it, what was so bad about Feeling like you were feeling, I'm doing it. And all of a sudden, for something stupid, you go to the pig's house, right? And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. If you go to the pig's house, you'll eat with the pigs. You go to church, you'll eat what the church is feeding you. You go to the pig's house, you eat the pods. That's just the way it is. But no one gave him any of that. Nobody gave him anything. And at this point, can we give him an awe? Ah, no one gave him anything. Because they'd already given him everything. Jesus already gave him everything he needed and was with them. So he left, which was the biggest thing. So he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. And I'll say, he didn't come to his senses. He didn't have a revelation about who his father was. He didn't feel regret for what he, he didn't come to his senses. He came to his sense of hunger. So he's still just thinking about himself. I'm hungry now. I don't even have the, the, what the pigs have. So I will sit down and go back to my father and say to him, okay, he didn't say, oh my gosh, I've sinned so bad. I'm not worthy to be a son of my father and I've sinned against God. He said, I will go back and tell my father. How many of you guys have made up a story to go tell daddy or mama? That's what he did right here. I'm going to go back and tell him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up. And he went to his father to see him. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, quick, bring a robe, bring the ring, bring the sandals, dress him down, bring the fatty calf and kill. Let's have a party. 
for the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. And remember, he's not dead. He's just away from God. If you're a Christian and you're away from God, it's like you're dead. I mean, this is where your life comes, right? You're lost. If, if nothing else, at least you're lost. And he's getting found. So he began to celebrate. And I want to go into the, the really great timing of this, which is what everything, this is the message I'm trying to give you. This prodigal is not about the son. It's not about, it's about the father. So the, here's the timing. 1520, uh, while he was still a long way away, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. And he threw his arm, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So before he said anything, his father just saw him. Last time they met, he took all his junk, wished you were dead, went off, spent it all. He's on his way back and he sees them. And just the act of coming back is enough to send the father running. Amen. Doesn't matter that he's just hungry at this time. Because aren't we all? Aren't we all just hungry going to God? What's it for though? Not food. But at this time it was. So he said to him, Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Well, you never were. I never was worthy to be called the son of God. So he's got it all wrong now. You're there because he was in the house before because God want, his dad wanted him there. And he was going to take care of him. And he left. I am no longer worthy. You were never worthy. The only reason we're a son of God is 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. So we're that because he lavishes love on us. Not anything we did. We don't got a merit badge. We don't got an ID card or decoder ring that says what we are. We're there because he loved us and he lavished it on us. There's that prodigal. Right? Reckless and wasteful lavishing. And how much, how much, who's been lavished on by Jesus and by God? Who deserved it? I mean, nobody. Right? But he did it. And that's, that's, that's his whole story. You get nothing else. That's the timing of everything. And then in this beautiful story, there's another Christian afoot, right? There's the older Christian. So meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he asked one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Before we go any further, I want to deal with meanwhile. Meanwhile means at the same time, right? The truth is there was always a meanwhile. There's always something else happening at the same time. When you're laughing, somebody's crying. When you're living, somebody's dying. You're being born, you're being killed. You're loving life, you're hating life. Suicide, birth, on and on and on. Meantime, we know how other countries are, right? You ever pray for something? I like to pray in my hot tub. Goes out there, you can see the stars, it's wonderful. And while praying, you start thinking of other things. Maybe some of the kids got issues. Maybe uh, the world just issues. Maybe God, oh my, look at this place. You know, immigrant. You could think of a million things. To pray. And then while you're doing that, you're getting ready to pray and you just feel petty. The world's falling apart. But king of everything, in spite of everything you've given me, I got another want. Never mind everything in the world, right? And I know what the Bible says to pray. I'm not saying don't. I'm saying what I feel. And I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> so... Uh, it's always something else. It's probably just me and my low self-esteem. But listen to this older son if you think I'm bad. He thinks he's a slave when he's a child of God. He thinks he's forced when it's voluntary. How can we stay grateful when we seem to have forgotten what we've been given at the same time he's been given it? This guy sees his son being restored and he knows he's never left, but he can't remember that, hey, I'm there too. It's just, what about this guy? And 
How many of us, I mean, how many of us are, have been kind of angered or resentment over somebody else's advancement? Or somebody got a job you didn't get? Or if you're a kid, they got the bigger piece of cake. If you're an adult, maybe it's chicken. <laughs> but they got the bigger piece and it bums you out. You know, because you're, you're, you're thinking of you, right? Let's look at that. Meanwhile, the older son, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So here's the father and the son and the restoration. And homeboy throws his, his, his thing in the mix by not going in, by having an issue, Right? And anybody else, what would, what would we do? We got a party going. Somebody came back from the military. Something, you know, and one guy, I'm not coming in there, you know. Then you're out. Click, right? Let's party. Because that's ridiculous. But the father went out and pleaded with them. First, he went to get the prodigal before he confessed. Now he's talking to the older Christian in his junk of looking over the fence and wondering about the other guy. And he tries to plead with them, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. We, we kind of doubt that. But he's been slaving for him, just doing what it is, that you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And the father, oh my gosh, I did it again. Um, I thought I wasn't going to do this. That happened last time. But he, feel, he killed the fatty calf for him. And his question, his question continued to be, don't you remember what I've done for you? You already have this. And he's putting himself in the mix because he doesn't understand. He did all that and you're still going to give him what I have? But you're going to make him my equal? And who here... No show of hands have thought that guy's not a Christian or why he's got to change some things, right? Oh yeah, I heard homeboy came to God. (laughs) Well, he better change a lot of things before that. No, no, not at all. You know, he needs to start working on him now though because it's hard to, to be, it's hard to be in the presence of the Lord and remain the same. You've got to change, you know, and sometimes the change is separation, You can't handle the changes that have been made so you separate, but luckily he's going to run when he sees you afar off. Okay, and I lost my spot, so I'm almost there again. (laughs) I was pretty good uh, talking. Um, So he said he was lost and now he's found. Be glad because your brother was dead. He's alive. And as a Christian, he's saying not salvation. He's talking about without me. You can be a Christian, even have salvation, but you're lost without Christ in this world. Right, The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. You can live this life in the gutter and have salvation. Just never get it in this world. Can't, can't work your life out. Can't keep a good job, whatever it is, because the, the, the world keeps you down. And it's not like, I must not be a Christian. Oh, you just don't get it. You're just confused. You're lost. But now you can be found. And this is the key. You got to come to Christ because the best showing Romans 5 8 next slide says God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were sinners Christ died for us right so that takes away you know if you get perfect and then you come to God he'll accept you you know why because you think you're perfect and you're sitting anyway so every every time you come to God you're a sinner but it's better to admit it to know what you are right and that way it helps you be more grateful because I, I was this I was lost and now I'm found 
right? God demonstrated his own love for us while we were sinners. He died for us. Do you remember at the beginning of this? The beginning of knowledge is fear of the Lord. Well, then the middle of knowledge is understanding that Christ died for us while we were sinners. And we have nothing to do because he already died for us. We just got to understand it and accept it. And so it stands a reason then that's the end of knowledge. That's salvation through Christ. And that salvation casts out all fears that started me down this path. Remember, from fear to faith to full forgiveness. Now it casts out all fears, especially fear of God, fear of Jesus. I'm not fearful of him anymore. I'm respectful, but he's already made promises. And again, Stevie said last time, faith is that God is, God loves us, and he's going to keep his promises. And I, don't, I can't mess that up. I can't throw a wrench in there, except for maybe not being a Christian. But by being a Christian, he's going to be working on you, and you may be struggling, but he's going to work on you, and he demonstrated his own love while you were that guy that needs a fix. That's when he died for you. And now it's time for us just to be grateful, just grateful. The fear that I felt was for the beginning. It's not for today, not for a Christian. If you've come to the saving knowledge of Christ, then all the fear nots and all the be not afraid that I was talking about, they're now for you and for me, for our Lord, our God is with us. And I'm in him and he in me. And really, we're still gonna be afraid, but there's no reason to. The, the, the lack of faith feeds our fear sometimes that we think that we don't deserve it. And when I say lack of faith, it's said that we're a child of God. Sometimes we just don't believe it. Sometimes we think we messed up and we can't be that anymore. I had my shot and I blew it. The reality is you don't have to feel afraid anymore. Fear not. But then how should you feel? Because the fear of God has kept me from going backwards for a long time. It's different now, but I don't want to go back to where I was at. I just don't want to do it. So what's going to keep me now? For that, we're going to go to our last story. is the story of the 10 lepers. And let's put ourselves in their shoes. Now it happened as we went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village and there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And remember, if you will, we're going back to that grace-filled, loving timing of God. The faith that made them well took place when they all yelled for mercy from Jesus, and they were healed at the beginning it was their faith in Jesus that made them all well, not the gratitude they showed him or didn't show him. Just like the prodigal father rushed to meet the son before he confessed, Jesus healed the 10 lepers before they asked them, showed any, before they showed any gratitude. All they did was ask. So this thing about the, about the gratitude is just to show that you should show it. All 10 were, he didn't take away his healing, right? So the gratitude he showed had nothing to do with his getting healed but it has everything to do with his relationship with Jesus going forward. And that's the message right here. Can we remember what he did for us? And that's what's going to keep you going. The gratitude doesn't make Jesus act. The gratitude makes him know the act was heard, I think. I don't know if that's true, but he knows. Everything to do with his relationship. He wants to be our counselor. 
who do you go to now? Do you go to the Bible? Do you talk to somebody Christian? Just, do you talk to anybody? He is our God, but he wants to be our everlasting father, which is a choice we make. I've spent my whole Christian life trying to be part of the 99 and not be the one he's always going after. This time, Lord, if it's gratitude we're talking about, just like the lepers, make me, make me the one. Make me one. I want to be the one that remembers to thank you in all seasons. I want to be the one that remembers that all good things come from you. I want to be the one that stays grateful for what you have done and what you are doing. And stays grateful for what you're going to do. The slide says stay grateful and you'll be more inclined to share in someone else's joy than to compare it to your own. You have salvation. If a Christian gets salvation, no matter what they're doing, it's a team now. They're part of the family. You should be joining. The second the other Christian, he was comparing it to his. What have you done for me lately? Right? And if you stay grateful, you forget about what you don't have because you're thinking about what you do have. Right? And if truly, if you're a Christian, you know salvation is the most important thing. So everything that gets in the way of that gratitude is sin. It's wrong. Right? And we got to confess that and stay grateful to exactly what he got. This is a depression reducer. It's a mental health issue that if you keep your mind grateful, you won't worry about what other people have. You won't worry about what other people say, what other people do, because you're grateful to God because at the end of it all, you're going to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. There you have it. FF2, F2FF. From faith, to from fear to faith, to full forgiveness. By grace are you saved through faith. The only thing we can count on now is Jesus. There is so much more than just salvation that we owe him for. But just salvation should be keep you coming back, thanking him every day till he comes. But he also gives us comfort in dark places. Gives every one of us a guarantee of success in him. Will you stay grateful for the greatest gift ever given? Will you worship the giver? Will you praise Jesus in spite of what you're going through, good or bad? He wants praise and he wants your petition. Let's do it now. Let's answer the question of will you? Will you in corporate worship? And then Stevie wants to ask you something. Thank you, Lord.